semana. Good morning, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. Season 4. I guess I can't even welcome you back to that. I can only welcome you because it has only just begun. This is Season 4 of the podcast. You are listening to it right now as is history in the making, my friends. We uh, are finally into our fourth season after, I think, 14 years? This is our, our fourth season. It's a big deal. Big deal, everybody. Um, so we are a podcast with uh, of just, just three dudes with perfect opinions. That's the show about mostly movies, TV, and cultural items. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, in North Koreatown, Los Angeles, and I'm joined by my two buddies. First up, he's at Anthony Lopez, part two in Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Yeah, I uh, I missed you guys. I'm excited to be back. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, and I think you're right, Alex. That's definitely, like, I mean, it's the podcast market is so crowded, and you really have to do something to stand out. And I think just being three straight white guys on a podcast is something good that... Opinions. Yeah, no, with this opinions. Different. Yeah, Our opinions hard. are good, though. That's the yeah. different, oh, difference. That's the difference. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, also joining me, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd. From the woods of Arkansas, it's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Uh-huh, hello, hey, howdy, what's up? <laughs> it's me, I'm back. It's the year two on this show for me. It's true. Um, yeah, all. welcome to a new year, a new season for you. Um, how, was, how was your holidays? How was your time off? Uh, it was uh it was pretty uh it was sleepy uh yeah. did some sleeping uh some hibernating i'm trying to hibernate mm. i'm trying to <laughs> just kind of sleep like a bear in a cave I eat like i'm going to hibernate and then just don't yeah i am yeah. always putting on hibernation weight i th- i have decided so i played do you know this game uh ring fit adventures it's like an exercise game for the nintendo mm-hmm. switch I had this great experience where I was like, I'm going to play this game and, and, and it's a game and I'm a gamer, right? I'm uh-huh. a game, yeah, you love game games. daddy, uh, good at, at the games. And, uh, the game asked me like, okay, how, what kind of difficulty level are you looking at? And I'm thinking like, well, I'm bad at exercise, but I'm good at games. Right. So I'll mm-hmm. go for the intense level. Oh, and let me tell you something. Ring fit adventures asked me to do stuff that meant I could not walk for really two yeah. or three days. I, <laughs> it was more about the fit than the ring. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a ring. You have a ring thing that you use to do fitness stuff with. Yeah, it's like right. a Lottie's right. ring. You shove a yeah. door in. Oh. Yeah. So that's where I'm at physically right now. Yeah, I mean, well, if, it, if it makes you feel any better, I have heard that from a lot of people that they, like, went in expecting, especially uh, sort of coming off. I know it's been a while, but, like, I don't know if you remember, like, We Fit. Which yeah. was like also marketed as an exercise game, but like wasn't really, you know, didn't really push you or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but several people I know, especially people who like work out fairly regularly, have told me that, yeah, Ring Fit kicked my ass. It uh, yeah. really it's nuts. Yeah. I will, this is, I don't know if this is meant to make you feel better or not, but I will tell you, I exercise outside. And um, on uh, a couple of days ago, I, for only the second time since I've been running seriously, which is like six years now, for the second time, I, completely fell why 100 percent face planted in the middle of a run the other day yeah, and yeah. when you say working out outside you mean like 
You're like a classic Venice Beach rollerblading, lifting weights on the boardwalk. Muscle Beach. I don't even know yeah. what it's called. It's called Muscle Beach. Yeah, you're at Muscle Beach all the time, you know, working on your tan, working on your eight pack. Uh, <laughs> this is how I exercise is my wife and I, we drive like four minutes to go from our neighborhood to the more expensive neighborhood because we're we feel like we were less likely to get hit by cars. There's fewer like blind driveways. And so we go over to the expensive area and we're running around this golf course. And there's a place where the concrete becomes like a dirt path for a little while behind a golf course. And someone had just hammered a wooden stake into the ground in that intersection of concrete and dirt uh, and left about, um, I'd say, a trips amount of stake above the ground. And I hit it with the full force of my right foot and just straight down. And it is I'm I've I've I realized I'm at the I'm age now where a fall I'm not quite at where it's like, oh god, he fell, but it's like it was a whole adventure. It's no <laughs> longer like just pop up, keep running. I was like hour an hour later, I was like, I fell. I really fell. It was yeah. alarming. That's rough. Yeah, so I am is, also a little sore. Is there any and like you were with Megan at the time, right? I was, yeah. All right. So I mean, out of her. there's nothing. Wor- the only thing worse than falling is anybody who sees you fall. Yeah, uh, yes. that makes it like a billion times more <laughs> embarrassing and more painful. I think uh, the other time I fell was like four years ago back in Portland, and it was behind a high school. And I was just on the sidewalk. There's just some uneven sidewalk, and I straight ate ate it. And I was so worried that a like. A bunch of freshmen saw me no. and were just giving yeah. me shit. It was I was so lucky to have fallen behind a bush, so they didn't actually see me go down. That was yeah. I was really worried about bullying. They would have fucking roasted your ass. Oh so my hard. god, I would have. You would have. So funny. Um, yeah, all right, geez. before we get into the show, I just wanted to send a quick shout out, a couple thank yous for a couple of meat buddies who have been with us for a while and just moved over to our new Metreon system. So Margaret, who's been with us since 2016, and Valerie who just edged out Mar- Margaret from 2015. So, I mean, five years, a lot has happened in five years, and not none of it has been enough to scare Valerie away, and that is really impressive. Most and of it we, hasn't we, been good either, so that's impressive. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I mean, there's been like four good episodes since 2015. Um, yeah, every once in a while someone's like, what is your favorite episode? And I'm like, "I there's just it's really, I can't even pick one. <laughs> not, you should not listen. That, that's what... <laughs> That's what I love about uh, you know the past few years is the podcast stays the same quality of okayness, but the world just yeah. keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, we've yeah. hung in there. We, yeah. So many things have gotten worse, and we've chosen to stay in our lane. Yeah, and uh, we, I think we just look better by comparison uh, every single day, you know? That's so yeah. true. If you would yeah. like to join Valerie and Margaret in um, funding this okayness, if you want to keep our show limping down the tracks, you can go to metreon.com, and we really appreciate everyone who supports our show. Okay, so today, as I mentioned uh, a few times, kickoff, season four. So let me give you, for those of you who have not been with us forever, let me give you a brief history up till this moment. So the show started in like, 1976 as a book club for me and a couple of college buddies to learn about the show was originally about the iranian hostage crisis right we were (laughs) yeah doing a lot of read it and weep it's like kind of obvious right (laughs) (laughs) we it's we've been around for a long time uh originally started about about popular fiction that was the original idea 
um, or, or more in, in, in hindsight, I think a better way to describe it is fiction that was not aimed at me. And so I thought was not good. Um, and, uh, then we, we moved from books largely into movies and TV hundred episodes later, we moved into season two, made a big change. I didn't want to just, uh, uh, love or hate stuff. I wanted to see how old things fit into my life. So season two was about like, does it hold up? And then we, something that Hunter said that was really mean in season two led me to start season three, slightly condescending film school where Anthony and Hunter explained things to me sometimes patiently. Um, and wait, people, what was the mean thing that I said specifically? Do you we know? Were, yes, we were talking about, um, we were talking about, uh, um, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, we're talking about Blade Runner. Yes. Good. Blade Runner. And uh, it was about theme. It was about I, I said blades were a theme or something, and you were like, "Do you understand what themes mean?" And um, so then I and I took that tone. I believe it was something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what was the birth of slightly condescending film school because I did not and largely still do not understand what themes in movies are. Um, but so we started this film school project with you two as professors, and it went extremely well. People were fine with it and um <laughs> it went really well because we've reached so we've reached this really interesting point where my schooling was so good and so thorough that i basically know all of it i know it all now i know everything now. oh yeah mm -hmm. is I that what you all, think now I'm, I'm ready to unleash my now in now perfected opinions on the yeah, public and that's what uh, okay. for it. You're officially the head of the Motion Pictures uh, Academy for Science uh, now. They, they asked yeah. me, and I turned it down because I don't work for free. Wow. So, right. yeah, I don't do reality. So, um, <laughs> this is a weird boast now because someone <laughs> asked you to do a job for free. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a voluntary position, and I didn't want to be a part of that. Uh, I told them my normal hourly. You were hourly. too good for nothing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's what season four is. It's perfect opinions. That's what we are moving into. So we're still going to talk about movies, of course, but also we're going to expand the field a little bit more. Um, and, and specifically with season four, we're going to divide the episode into two or three segments each week focused on a different area where we have a collective. It's not just me. You guys are also, you know, you're professors before you all are, are you're now professors emeritus. You have, um, consulting gigs and, and that kind of thing. You're mm -hmm. known for your yes, opinions. Yes, yes. So we will all discuss the things that we have perfect opinion about. So uh, frequently it'll be homework. Most days it'll be homework, like the good old days. So we'll talk about a thing um, that we have selected in advance, a movie, a TV show, a book, perhaps, uh, maybe someday a game. Um, we'll also probably have a news segment, a newsy segment. Um, and we'll do something about, uh, we might have a show and tell segment. We might have an uh, um uh, an argument. We're almost always going to have an argument. That's our other thing. I, I said that in a weird tone, but and we'll end with an argument, like should you send food back at restaurants, that kind of thing. So we're going to have something that people will, or should you own physical media? That was one we did last year. So yeah, and those will be submitted by almost mostly by our listeners uh, and by our meat buddies. So that's what's going to happen. That's our three segment structure. Love it, love it. Is, yes, it's going to be solid. Um, so let's kick it off. I should probably get stings for these eventually, but I don't have them yet. So we're going to kick off segment one, our newsy segment this week. So we're not always going to have a theme on season four, but for this episode, we are. We do have one. Uh, our theme for this episode is the streaming wars uh, because we there's a bunch of different things related to the world of streaming that I have strong and excellent opinions about. So the first thing for our news segment, we're going to go. It's actually... Old news, I guess, is the name of the segment. Old news, because this came out about a month ago. But I've been wanting to talk to you guys about it since it happened. And we haven't had a chance. So this is um, from early December, the New York Times reporting. 
In a startling move that marked the biggest challenge yet to Hollywood's traditional way of doing business, Warner Brothers announced on Thursday that 17 movies, its entire 2021 slate, would arrive simultaneously in theaters and on its streaming service, the underperforming HBO Max. Damn. So Thanks a lot, is... Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want you to explain that in just a second. Um, but for just for inf- like for thorough uh, information about this, what what does that include? That includes uh, Suicide Squad sequel, yeah, Godzilla sure. versus King Kong, Dune, Matrix Four. Well, it did, well does it because the Dune guy was like, wait, no, yeah, no, interesting. Now- oh, he's, Dune is not interested in that. No, it, I don't I know. Mean, it's a lot of directors uh, have spoken up saying they they don't like it uh and think it's a bad idea but i don't believe they had a choice i know yeah i would assume that they sign long contracts that have something and in one of those warner brothers would be like yeah we do what we want oh also i keep saying warner brothers i should be more clear at&t is who i meant (laughs) uh making all of these decisions so here's what here's what i bring to you gentlemen i've heard Mm -hmm. i've heard tech news talk about this i've heard film twitter film industry people talk about this i've seen comments from directors a lot of directors saying how this is going to kill the movie industry but the thing that i have not heard people talk much about is how people who watch movies should feel about this about what how in any way this affects the consumer of movies mm-hmm. and i guess so this is my my starting point is like i feel like i don't give a shit about the industry's profits and their performance of their streaming services, except in whether or not it affects me as a consumer. So I'm more interested in like how movies feel and how movies like the world of watching movies are. Right. And what, like anyway, so that that's my gut. But what? How do you guys feel about this news? What was your immediate reaction to this? I'm kind of torn to be honest. I'm feeling I'm feeling a couple different ways about it because I will say like the downside of if you know if if this is the the beginning of the end or the movie theater, um, then it's kind of a bummer because there's a lot of movies. Like, for example, the the movie we're going to talk about later, Wonder Woman 1984, has like IMAX sequences that they shot. Mm. And uh, I don't, that didn't matter to me in my, on my TV at home. Like, it, that, it doesn't matter that it's a IMAX sequence if my screen is a, just a normal size screen. So, so with some of these big budget blockbuster movies that there's a, aspect of just like the kind of roller coaster aspect of like oh it's like a ride this movie uh that will be that will be lost obviously if we give up the the theater going experience however i have seen enough of that type of movie for several lifetimes so <laughs> is that a big deal i yeah. don't know well, I, mean, <laughs> I mean there are parts of movies you could get me excited about but i guess an imax sequence in a comic book movie is hard for me to get super worked up about anthony what's well, your thought i did you know when i was in high school they did that with the dark knight movie and i was like these sequences are cool but i also yeah. saw them yeah. in a theater you know right well i mean if you do so like with the streaming it's it's kind of weird because like i also this week uh as a as a christmas gift i got a, a the blu-ray of tenet um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which if you get the streaming version of it, you won't get the IMAX shots, but on the Blu-ray, you do get the, the change in perspective, uh, uh, the aspect ratio. So it does right. go from conventional 35 millimeter to IMAX shots back and forth, which is something that is like, it's a shame you can only get that through physical media. Um, 
But I, yeah. I wanted to kind of bring up media is bad. Uh, a few things that are really interesting to me, like okay, so Wonder Woman. I'm looking at it right now. Wonder Woman 1984 has made 28 million dollars in America since that its release. That's um, man, I'd take it. I'd yeah. bite your arm off for 28 million dollars. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, you have think about how much money you are invested investing on the front yeah. end there. I put nothing well, into this movie. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that as like a a bad necessarily like a, a shockingly no number low number i think that's a surprisingly high number for the sure. fact that covid and lockdown and most yeah, yeah, yeah. unavailable i do think it's interesting that like people are still going to see it whether that's in good judgment or not and i do think mm-hmm. like personally i'm a big fan of the theatrical experience the second i feel totally. like it's, it's safe to go out my wife and i have already talked about this how like the first month that we want to it's it's like kind of okay and safe we're gonna go to like a movie almost every day that's kind of like our goal it's just to like immerse ourselves in that experience because we love it so much i i love Uh, the movie going experience just like i love going to concerts but if you were to say how dare you release this cd you can only go see it live in concert i would be bummed about that Like, I love the experience and will go to it when I can, but the number of movies I see versus the numbers of movies I see in theaters, the theater number is much smaller all the time. Yeah. And the fact that this is available, like, for me, Wonder Woman is a perfect example of something that I don't care about and would never go see it in the theater, but I care about it enough to watch it on streaming and be part of a conversation. That's interesting. Well, I I want to be clear about something, though, real quick, because we're talking about a very specific theater-going experience. Like, the kind of... um, second run or art house cinema which has you know really not you know had a lot of money to spare anyways i think will survive any changes to the larger entertainment industry which i think kind of fuels my level of like feeling like i'm not sure if this is bad or good because i feel like the stuff i really care about is probably just going to survive anyways much in the same way that it has survived being much less popular than like a regal cinema chain or something like well, that, you know? I, yeah, I totally. think that the, the actual sort of like why this conversation, including AT&T and Warner Brothers actions here have been so uh, controversial is because uh, a lot of this is, is like a lot of different companies are going to piss stuff out on streaming day and date. And like, I definitely think that that is something that is in the future can be a boon to consumers, to the um, production companies and the distributors. Mm -hmm. But my issue with it, and the thing that that really rubbed me the wrong way about all of this HBO Max stuff, uh, is that it is like... It feels like it's robbing Peter to to pay Paul in a way. Like, it Mm -hmm. is so much of this action has come to, I think that AT&T, since they merged or purchased Warner Brothers, have had a lot of really bad decisions that they have executed on. Uh, I think it's, they I are believe not... that's in their company charter at AT&T. Yes, uh, but, but they uh, focused on, you know, Warner Brothers has uh, historically been the studio that is like very auteur director driven. That has sort of always been their thing. And they oh, make huge, big budget films but also make used to make a lot of really smaller films and you know you would get you know like those sort of odd chris nolan movies and basically if a director made a lot of money for warner brothers you got to make stuff there forever and at&t has really cut back on that they're not interested in making movies that make like 30 40 million dollar profits they're interested in movies that are going to make a billion dollar profit so that's all they want to make right and because there's like 
all of these different factors of how they run their business. You have their theatrical change, which have focused mostly on these big blockbusters, especially this DC EU stuff that's been very hit or miss. And then you have other things like the fact that HBO Max launched with such like a lackluster lineup and such like a uh, little reason for people to subscribe to it. And when you think about like the amount of properties that Warner Brothers and HBO owns, the like the fact that they didn't have like you know a, you know whatever feel how you feel about Harry Potter universe, but like a Harry Potter show on HBO right. Max day one. Right. Uh, one of those Game of Thrones spinoffs. Or fuck, not even... How about you don't end Game of Thrones early? Like, if Game of Thrones had not wrapped up uh, two years ago and instead wrapped up last year while everyone was in, like, house like arrest, essentially, due to COVID, and you could only watch that on HBO Max, that would have been a huge boon for them. And there's a lot of things like that. There's all these... Just just clarify what you're saying, because I feel like you're mad that they didn't have better content, and I am hugely relieved. No, no, he's pointing out the the arbitrariness of this move. Like, they didn't do this when they had Game of Thrones. They just did this because AT&T was like, well, we're going to do this now. They did this because HBO Max has been basically a disaster in terms of subscription. Right. Right, that's, right, and, and what I'm saying is that's a huge relief for me. I don't want to subscribe to another one. So the yeah. less stuff they put on HBO Max, the better I, off I am. Right. Well, also like you, people already had access to HBO, so I did not. I never understood the pitch of HBO Max. I was like, I can already watch HBO stuff on my well, yeah, Amazon I mean, Prime. Like, I don't understand. That was another between like HBO Go, HBO Now, HBO Max. Yeah. It's like yeah. confusing the market. But what I'm saying is that. Because they didn't have a quality content. I mean, even look at like the fact that they had the DC like y- universe streaming network like two years ago, and they made a bunch of original content for that, uh, like the Swamp Thing show and Justice League. Oh, really? Swamp Thing? And it that came and it tanked and they killed it. And all that content is like in weird limbo. And like if they had held off to that even and had that launch with HBO Max. But the thing is, and like where I think a lot of filmmakers will get upset about this move is that essentially what they've done is because HBO Max is not getting the subscription numbers AT&T wants, Warner Brothers and AT&T are killing their theatrical distribution model to help raise HBO Max's numbers. Right. Yeah. right? That's the controversy. That's what makes people upset. But if there's if there's still other like there's like Disney is still putting movies in theaters like like Fox. Well, I guess everything else is Disney. So literally everything else is <laughs> the same company. But like if other companies are still putting stuff in movie theaters, it's just like one just one choice for how to distribute. And it seems like one of the things that's weird about the movie industry to me is that they does not seem like they compete at all. They're like, we'll just you have this weekend, I'll have this weekend, we'll just take turns. We'll no, all make money, we'll never they, find anything different. We'll agree to the same windowing system. They used like, to compete when there was more than five companies, right? right. So that's the right. other the, the the theatrical they used to be, you know, like even when we were growing up, when we were young in the you know early you know nineties, late eighties, there was you know what, eight, nine, ten different major studios. And they've all been consolidated down yeah, to Sony, yeah, Disney, Warner Brothers. Um, I can't. I'm sure there's like 
But yeah, I mean, even like MGM, you know, basically owned by Warner Brothers now. Columbia, TriStar, all Sony, uh, Disney, obviously Paramount, has Fox. Paramount's still a different thing. Yeah, Paramount is still its own company. Yeah, so Paramount's Paramount, the other big one. Isn't Paramount taking a, what? Which they're taking a streaming service over. Well, no, Paramount owns like CBS All Access. Yeah, Paramount Plus, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Wait, there so, is a Paramount Plus in addition to CBS All Access? No, CBS All Access is changing into that. They're changing their name to Paramount Plus, oh, okay, I believe. Fine. Yeah. Okay. And this is just, to me, it's like where a huge part of the, the problem and the frustration with this comes from is the the sort of like, the what I kind of found interesting, uh, uh, sort of thinking about this, I spent a lot of time this week thinking nostalgically about like, when the first like digital cable boxes came out and like kind of on demand was sort of like a new idea. I remember like sitting with my brother and we like just sitting there talking about like what the future and you know, what stream this was before Netflix yeah. even had streaming. And we essentially like created streaming platforms in our heads. Like we talked exactly about how they would be and like what right. would be really <laughs> cool about them. And I think a lot of people did this, like we imagined this future. And it was for a while when there was only a few companies and everyone wanted to get their stuff like on Netflix and you could get really cool, interesting stuff on Netflix. Uh, and it drove people to like, you know, cu- you know, be cable cutters and, uh, you know, get rid of that. And like, it's going to be cheaper for streaming. But now due to the popularity and due to every company wanting a piece, because main thing that you're going to learn from sort of, studios and movie studios in general but you can kind of say this about all business in america is that they're always going to take the wrong lessons from other people's success you know like they never ever take the right lessons and so much of that has come to like we're now at this point where like at my house we pay for a few streaming services but we also share with a few other people a few others But if we were paying for all of them, we would be paying more than a cable package. So this is, this is exactly what our third segment today is going to be about. This is, and that's a perfect setup for it with the 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 nostalgia for for, I guess, f- the nostalgia for the time when you had optimism about the future. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a perfect example. Uh, and that's that's actually the the whole setup for our argument coming up in in, in segment three. Um, I just want to say one more thing about this uh, before we move on to our homework, which is very related, um, which is that I just the windowing system has always been kind of frustrating that you couldn't go rent a movie if it was in theaters um, that they've just decided we're going to withhold this from you for as much time as we would like, not because we think it's what you are interested in. It's just for us to make the money that we want. And it's just like fucking McDonald's taking away the McRib and Disney putting things back in the vault Mm -hmm. and um, uh, new Coke. Is it? I don't think it's like new Coke. Is it like like, new Coke? It's It's like new Coke. Yeah. If I say it is. It's like, it's like, um, uh, scarcity. Right, like that is not for us. It's not because that's the best thing for me, and so it it kind of it it's always been kind of irritating. And so the the fact that one company is doing it differently, even for a short time, and also yeah, one of the crucial things about this is that twenty twenty one is also going to suck for the bulk of it, and you're going to be inside for most of this this year, 
And so you're not actually getting to go to that many movies anyway. So having them do this only for a time, like half the year is going to be inside only anyway, is like, just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It seems like an interesting competitive change and well, maybe mean, we'll do something else good, even if I, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. I think that there's a lot of other reasons that sort of aren't getting taken into factor here. I think a big part of why like, um, like sort of directors besides wanting, especially every filmmaker, everyone involved in movies wants you to see their movies in a theater, right? That's just the ideal experience. But on a more sort of cynical monetary reasons, there's a lot of directors and people involved in films who make money on theatrical runs, right? Right. And what essentially Warner Brothers is doing is cutting the legs off of uh, what turns out the profit that they have to share with other people. So, like, Wonder Woman was a unique scenario because Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot were both able, they got, like, a $10 million check to, like, substitute what would have been their back-end deal on the theatrical side of Wonder Woman. So they got a huge payout, but I don't think any other of these directors, uh, the Danny News on Dune, I don't think he's going to get a $10 million payout for the money it would have gotten in a theatrical So, I mean, you already have Hollywood, which is, like, notorious for stuff like Hollywood accounting and being really, really bad about, like, you know, no movie in Hollywood has ever made a profit, if you ask the studio system. Right. Uh, They're really bad about paying people what they're owed. And this is just another way for, like, AT&T to take money from Otis, deserve money, and sort of keep it for themselves. And in a selfish way to boost their own streaming numbers. And that's the stuff that like really frustrates me. And like what I, what I don't just see it as it's not just a, a, like the theatrical experience getting hurt, but it's when you just by nature of the big studios consolidating different voices are, are getting, are getting harder and harder to get stuff made, get stuff released, get known. And what this is going to do is like, I can't imagine a lot of directors wanting to go and keep working with Warner Brothers with this type of stuff. I mean, this is the same thing that happened with Fox under, like, when Tim Rothman was running it. Like, they were, like, Christopher McQuarrie wrote, like, this big open letter and post, like, printed it in Variety about, like, you know, a lot of directors just don't want to work with you guys anymore because you're notoriously bad at, like, cutting up their films, taking control, you know, being really shitty, making stuff worse. And it like sure. actively yeah. hurt that studio for years yeah. to the point yeah. that Disney bought them. And this is the type of thing that like Chris Nolan is like the main thing, like in terms of like autistic voice that Warner Brothers have. And if he leaves Warner Brothers, what really do they have left? He could go anywhere in the world. He's only there out of loyalty, you know? And yeah. like, this is the type of thing that I think is like, going to cost Warner Brothers interesting, unique filmmakers and good voices. Even if, like, like I made the joke about thanks, Christopher Nolan, earlier because, I don't know if you saw this, but, like, a huge part of this uh, release strategy for them is because of tenants not making money theatrically. Right? I it's because Chris Nolan... I not understand that. Of course it didn't make money. It's deadly to go outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How does anybody like? I just the whole argument was like, we're just gonna put, we're gonna, we're gonna prove everybody wrong. We're gonna put this movie in theaters and hope people die coming to see it. And if they don't, it's gonna change the industry. Like, yeah, it's not supposed to go. Yeah, it was a really weird thing. Everything about that, and like, I, I don't even think Tenet's a good movie. It's certainly not worth dying over, uh, <laughs> or, or killing your grandma over. It.
segment two is the homework. So this week we watched Wonder Woman 1984, uh, which was direct to HBO Max and at the same time as theaters from Warner Brothers. It's the new film from Detective Comics Comics and American <laughs> Telephone and Telegraph. It just came out at the end of 2020, written, directed by Patty Jenkins and starring um, this gal Godot, Chris Wouldn't Like a Pine, and uh, Kristen in Glasses and a Wig. And it is <laughs> the follow-up to the 2017 uh, smash hit for as far as Detective Comics comics goes, uh, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Let me give you Follow at Pedro home. Pedro Pascal. You left out Pedro Pascal. He's, in here, he's I, here too. Yeah, Pedro. I just didn't have a pun for his last name. Oh, okay, I see. Um, I, I could have been like take a Pascal, but it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, so Ugh, the yeah. the uh, I'm gonna we're gonna spoil the heck out of this. So if this is if you are interested in seeing Wonder Woman 1984, we're mostly gonna spoil it. Like we talked a little bit about this during a meeting last week about what our morality is for spoiling things. If it's older, we try we we don't care as much. Or but if the ending is really exciting, we try to pres- preserve that for you. Um, but if we don't like the movie very much, we're more open to spoiling it. And so this yeah. is largely going to be a negative conversation. So if you don't want Wonder Woman spoiled and soiled by us, skip ahead 30 minutes. Yeah, and this also, there's no way we all, everyone listening has already posted a cynical take about this movie on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, uh, that is, as a real quick side note, that was something... Yes. Uh, before we even kind of get into the movie, something that was really fascinating, I think, because we're all at home, we're all kind of trapped, we're all feeling a lot right now. Um, but the the arc of movies, sort of it, like the zeitgeist and conversation about movies, is so wild these days. I mean, I saw it with like Tenet, uh, Wonder Woman, Soul. The like a movie comes out, it has twelve the 20 hours of kind of positive buzz and then the conversation just turns incredibly sour and filled. Is that true about soul too? I mean, I loved soul. I, I, I All so I've heard is your thoughts on it. I've not heard anyone. Yeah, else I, I really liked it. I do think that a lot of people are just, you know, because it's a kid movie or just finding reasons to not like it. Um, but yeah, people just, the way conversations on Twitter, like nothing has ever, positive for more than a day at this point before people just have to well can i can i can i tell you a little story because i think i i have maybe a guess as to what is happening because i wanted as an experiment i wanted to do this the the the, uh right away in air quotes which was i was like okay let's look at this hbo max thing oh it costs 15 dollars. okay well <laughs> i'll just get a free trial and then watch it oh there's not a free trial okay, yeah, so I have to 15 dollars, and i'm gonna watch it at home uh, suddenly 15 dollars sounds like a lot so i give them the 15 dollars, right and now we're before i've even clicked play on the movie I'm a little bit annoyed, you know, because I've looked at the HBO Max, like, whole thing. I'm seeing, like, wow, there's not a lot that I... It, most of the things that I m- might enjoy on this, I have already seen. There's nothing really, like, new that I would be, like, curious about. Uh, so I'm already kind of starting from a negative place, which I think that is actually kind of a factor in how everyone is weighing in on this movie. That's super interesting. It's also it shows how differently you value the experience of watching a movie when it's on your TV, because $15 at a theater is not crazy. Right. But this so, is, it just feels like I'm, I'm giving you well, $15 and then I'm watching this movie by, and my toilet is in the other room, you know? 
charge you $30 to watch Milan after you already had subscribed with no free trial to Disney Plus and no one liked that either. So yeah. uh, it's it's possible that the that, yeah, there's a lot of price sensitivity about this, but mm-hmm. that maybe I, I could see why if they're like, there's nothing good on this this whole network. We have nothing good on our streaming service. So, but you're used to watching a new movie for fifteen dollars. So maybe we can convince you that one month is worth it if there's a new movie that's on it yeah. right now. And that's kind of, I think, what they're sort of going for. Ultimately, I do think that this is the type of movie that is like it, it's a weird one to sell. I mean, because okay, I, I'm just gonna come out and say it. I really dislike Wonder Woman eighty four. Yeah. I uh, and it's the type of thing uh, I was very very excited. Uh, I really liked the first one. My wife adores the first one it the first movie meant so much to her and we were both super excited it was christmas day we were gonna watch this and this is the type of movie that like is probably my least and favorite and the most upsetting type of movie that exists uh like i am furious with this movie and (laughs) and what i what i mean by that is like so I, you know me, I'm a guy, I love interesting failures, right? Mm-hmm. I love big yeah. swings. I would rather yeah. someone fail at something really ambitious than succeed with like much more modest, you know, desires and goals, right? Right. I, yeah. I, I do think that there's stuff like the, the stay in the DC universe, like Aquaman, I also think is a fucking mess. It was a disaster, but it's so ambitious. It's so fun. I love that movie. Hey, I'm motion master. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 is the type of movie that is so gonzo weird and wacky and just filled with the craziest ideas. And so unlike anything else in terms of like big comic books, that movies that are getting made nowadays uh, that I really wanted to like it. But to me, it's because they, it's so crazy and so bold, but still has like none of it really works. And it's so close to working. Like I, I really don't mm-hmm. like to be the type of person who's like, well, let me tell you my fixes for the script. You know, sure. I don't want to do it that. It kind of begs you to do that. Like yeah, in watching it, you just want to make your own cut of this yeah, movie. This, I mean, I did. Just we have a, a regular movie. segment on this show from the early days that was called One Change. And I was, I was contemplating, suggesting we could each take a turn fixing this movie with just one yeah, change. I mean, this is just, it's the type of movie that was just a, like a second pass on the script, just changing a handful of things. And the fact that like this movie, you know, this movie was supposed to come out December, 2019. Right. And then they thought they weren't going to finish it in time. And it got pushed back to summer. Then COVID happened. And then it got pushed back to December. Uh, but they actually finished it before December of last year, so they could have released it. So the fact that this movie has been sitting on a shelf for a full year and no one went back and being like, no, we have a year <laughs> to change some of this shit, uh, just drives well, me been very distracted this year. Yeah, it's just the movie is to so, me. Okay, to so me so I, I want to get I want to get specific. But before we do that, I think we should catch people up. So here's where the spoilery parts are going to begin. Jump 20 minutes ahead if you don't want to hear it. So here's my micro summary of Wonder Woman 1984. It's a year in the past. No one has any idea what year it is. And Wonder Woman. That's a joke because it's in the title. And Wonder Woman is now uh, she's finished with her World War One stuff. And now she's live. She's working in the general stuff department of the Smithsonian. 
her lab contains old rocks, a few uh, stuffed animals, and a lot of tubes. Um, well, and don't forget about the fleet of fully fueled planes sitting right behind her as well. <laughs> Very She's important. In the ignition. Yeah, and, and not historical planes. Modern fighter jets are yeah. just all parked out back. Fueled up, main, well maintained. Smithsonian uh, is an incredible collection. We can agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And all of this is, of course, happening in Washington, D.C., because uh, that's uh, the city that is owned by D.C. Comics. So <laughs> yeah. The, I, I assume. I haven't watched a lot of these movies, but I assume they all take place there. So, Wondy, um, uh, she makes friends with this woman who y- you would be sure, if you saw her, that she was cool and hot and not awkward and not ugly, except she has glasses on. Really Uh-oh. throws her whole look in the toilet. Just ruins yeah. every... Just- and people hate this woman because of her glasses yeah just imagine um selena kyle in batman returns or just, just imagine guy pierce in iron man 3 or jamie fox in amazing spider-man 2 there's a or, lot of these types or, or i would assume spider-man as or not spider-man uh, superman at his day job right like this is the fundamental to the comic book industry is that if you put on glasses you suck and people hate you right weeb it's that TV trope, right? Uh, what is it called? Hollywood Homely? Yeah, it's like yeah, not exactly. exactly. Sense, actually. <laughs> this is there's so many other things that are, are that are annoying about this movie, but this one pissed me off so much is that it's Kristen Wiig. You can't make you can't fool me into hating Kristen Wiig yeah. by putting glasses on her. It's fucking Kristen Wiig. She rules. I was so I excited mean, I to see her. She is really good in those segments. It's what they do with her afterwards that is so. Interesting. I actually thought she got better when she was in the Cats, the movie costume. Um, <laughs> but before we get to that, okay, so she's an ugly, awful, terrible person. Uh, and she kind of has a crush on, on Gal, but maybe kind of not. Um, and she gets this assignment where she has to hold on to and identify a cool-ass rock. And the rock, it turns out, gives wishes without any strings attached. It's just a perfect wishing rock nothing could ever go wrong so she wishes to be hot like gal gadot and uh gal wishes to have her boyfriend from world war one come back from the dead in 1984 as if nothing had happened and then a famous guy from tv oh one guy wishes to have a cup of coffee and then um a famous guy from tv wishes that his failing oil company uh turned into um him controlling the entire world so his son respects him that's all. Uh, and then... Uh, hey, that's what he wishes for. He wishes for more wishes. Well, so, yes. So, but in, right, exactly. But in order to get to that point from failing oil executive to controlling every point of everything in the entire world, he makes a real 3D chess maneuver. <laughs> he doesn't wish for more wishes. That's illegal, right? That's classic Aladdin rules. Instead, he wishes to become himself the wishing stone. Yeah, it's real playground rules. It's yeah, real and rules. also, wait, well, I, you, you have skipped an important part. This guy we're talking about is Donald Trump. So, okay. important to note. I, yes, th- this is cl- it's clear that parts of the script writing process, they were like, this is Donald Trump. But then also, his he has like, he likes his son. So it's just, I just don't understand the I, metaphor. I, I was, my original re- one-line review of this movie would have been like, I would have gladly traded the real Trump for Pedro Pascal's fantasy okay. Trump yeah. Grant, Grant wishes. Yeah. I mean, that is so like, that is kind of like my biggest issue with this sort of, this movie is like the script is like a child who's telling you a story while holding a giant bag filled with cans of worms. And every five <laughs> minutes at a different point in the story, he opens another can and just leaves it somewhere. And, I, and like, 
the whole film is just filled with like these just- over complex things that aren't explored enough. Uh, it's six different movies shoved into one, and like the stuff about Pedro Pascal that I didn't that I. I don't think comes through in the movie till the very, very end. But the idea that this guy is, he's not just a Donald Trump uh, stand in. He is like the idea of this character is he's a immigrant who is so like filled with self hate and self doubt that he wants to be a white man. Right. And like, that is why he mm-hmm. dyes his hair. He tries mm-hmm. to look as white as he can, tries to act like, like this sort of like, idea of modern eighties, like, a successful white businessman. And that, that is like a very interesting idea for a villain. And it's just not, never explored. Doesn't quite, it doesn't quite get Uh, explored at all. Um, uh, All the stuff with like this Reagan stand in who's not supposed to be Reagan, but looks a lot like Reagan for like, if, if he's not supposed to act like Reagan, but he has Reagan's hairline. Yeah. Just get a completely different looking actor. And then people will be like, Oh, that's not supposed to be Ronald Reagan. Yeah, you could pause I, this I movie like- at any point and look at the frame, and there would be something in the frame that doesn't really make sense if you think about it for just even a minute. Just yes, even a I minute agree. of thinking would be like, I am actually not sure even what's trying to be communicated to me right now. Yeah, yes. and like the, it's it's got this whole muddied message about like there are no shortcuts in life, but to me, it kind of comes off much more as the, sort of this right wing pull yourself up by your own bootstraps fantasy like like so that's kind of my reading on this movie is that what this movie is ultimately about i think it's it's very very cynical especially in the way that like you know this is the 80s this is at the height of sort of like the aids crisis this is uh all these things happening but everyone's wish is incredibly selfish everyone's no one wishes for anything good no one wants to help people Everyone. Most people wish for nukes in the movie. That was a lot like of blowing my mind. Really wish for nukes, which is nukes not were, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. The, there are two moments that like really drove me insane. There's in this wishing montage at the end. There's like this like Korean waitress who wishes to be like famous and then like regrets it immediately. And yeah, immediately somebody like tries to take a, a pull, like a picture of her through the window, like a paparazzi photo, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, I have made a terrible decision." Yeah, and it's, it's just like. The whole point of the moral of the movie comes from this this like super intelligent, all powerful god who looks like a supermodel, who is just like one nothing good ever happens to me, which is the point when I was like, oh, go fuck yourself. Right? <laughs> uh, that this this yeah, woman boyfriend died in World War One. That is very yeah, sad. and then she's been lonely for seventy years. <laughs> Yeah, the idea. Dude, that I, it's like, so easy. You think you think. Look, you're hot. People will just be really nice to you. But maybe hot people are lonely, Anthony. I think that's yeah. important for us to think about. Well, and but it, it feels no. But it feels weird for a character. Is the problem is that we this character has now been in stasis the whole time, like since World War One. This character has just been on this same note of being sad about her boyfriend it's kind of yeah. sad and it's when, the point is, when, look, your boyfriend died in world war one fucking get over it and then or when, don't tell the don't set the story in 1984 like don't <laughs> give us this weird gap like if you want to tell yeah, the story of her being sad about her boyfriend don't just why why, why yeah. include that and why have like th- this idea but with like to that waitress it's like this movie has this super powerful beautiful god basically telling her hey there are no shortcuts in life, all right? You yeah, have to yeah. work hard and earn yourself being a celebrity, 
you know, like me, Wonder Woman, someone who notoriously whooped <laughs> super hard for all of the well, stuff she has. In she, life. she learned that lesson when she was doing um, Amazonian Ninja Warrior. Yeah, as a child. Right. Yeah. You can't, uh, like, you can't cheat at Ninja Warrior. That's the important uh, well, thing. Well, I got to say something about the Ninja Warrior thing before we move forward. Because my theory about this movie while I was watching it was like, oh, this is like studio interference uh, mucking this up. But that's actually, as far as I can tell, that might not be uh, true. true. Yeah. Because apparently Warner Brothers wanted them to cut the two. They were like, listen, this movie has two openings. And yes. it does. And yes. that's a problem. And, and they were like, you need long. to cut one. And Patty Jenkins was like, no. Yeah. yeah, just the stuff that doesn't make sense and is a script writing 101 stuff. Like, why introduce, like, if you're going to have your hero lose their powers and you're going to set up this magical armor that was made for someone without powers, why wouldn't she lose her powers, use the armor, and then get rid of him? Rather than set, why have uh, Linda Carter in the post credit scene when she could have just been in the fucking movie. It's just... <laughs> okay, well, also, okay. I didn't understand when she had her powers or not. Like, yes. at, at some point I was told she did not have her powers, but she was still doing a lot of crazy shit. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. to be, okay, so let me, let me catch people up. Let me just catch people up who haven't seen it. Okay, so we did the thing where the guy who's Donald Trump, um, uh, t- he, he becomes the stone himself, which yes. the only reason I can buy that as a choice is because he hasn't seen Aladdin yet. Cause it hasn't come out for another 10 years. Cause yeah, Aladdin yeah. is like, if you wish to become the genie, it's a trap. That's how you get Jafar is you have him wish to be the genie. So, um, he wishes to become the stone. And so it, tur- but then it turns out guys, I know, I know none of you saw this coming. Uh, it turns out there are strings attached. Oh, they're not just free wishes. Ah, oh, it is. Just the monkey's paw, uh, which is so, so whatever you get, it takes something away of a maybe equal value, but it's not like the monkey. So the monkey's paw, which I am obsessed with, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. The monkey's paw is like whatever you ask for, I'm going to intentionally misunderstand and hurt you with it. Right. That's like if you you want somebody back from the dead, I'm going to pretend that what I as a monkey's paw, I'm going to pretend what I thought you meant was as a zombie. Like it would never occur to me that you're asking for them to be all the way alive. You just want to reanimate their corpse. Right. Um, So the monkey's paw is like a douche, but this stone is more of like a random monkey's paw. It's like, I'm going to take something away from you, but it won't be what you expect. So like (laughs) the ugly friend gets to be strong and confident and sexy, but she turns into a cat later. And her thing (laughs) is, she uh she gets to be powerful, but what her, the cost is? She wants to hurt guys who sexually assault women, which right, actually, you know is a real. <laughs> yeah, which I could talk about that scene for an hour. That was so conf- like confusing to me because I was like, oh, she's kicking that guy's ass. She didn't even like. She, it's not like she like really, real. I mean, I guess she hurt him a bit, but I I, yeah, I was literally in my head it. in my head canon. I was like, this is a good moment. Like she's doing yeah, something right, good. Right, and then the movie is like, now she's a villain. Yeah. Oh, all or, right. Or in the case or of Wonder on Woman. His side, then? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Yeah, the, why, why was I supposed to be on his side? I hated him. Yeah, Dude. and then in the case of Wonder Woman, yes. she, she gets her boyfriend powers, back from the dead. Very but she lo- slowly. She loses and, 3% of her powers. She yeah. she drops the whip once, and she's a little bleedy on the shoulder. Yeah. But mostly she's a normal Wonder Woman. She's She is a, like... She's like a an incredible woman, but not quite a wonder. She's yeah, like, I mean, and it's like pick one. Like 
it should have either been her losing her powers is the cost, or deal with the can of worms you yeah, opened, yeah, yeah. and I, have, yeah, like, the, the moral problem of, I got my boyfriend back, but I think we killed a man to do it. Yes, yeah. yes. This is, I, this is by far my one change. This is, the, I, I would almost love this movie if she dealt with that. Because the idea of, that's what, it, like, that's a real interesting decision for a hero. You, you wish for your boyfriend to come back, and you soul-murdered an engineer to do it. Right. That yeah. is fucking cool. Yeah, that is you, an interesting dilemma. And that instead of dilemma is like, like, why did she have to lose her powers on top of that even? Yeah, like, that, yeah. that's bad. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I'm a random monkey's pup. No, I, I can do two things. And no, then with, with the opening of the movie, of it being like, hey, you can't cheat. Like, you have to do it right. Right, and she's like, no, but but I never knew that guy. I don't care about that guy dying. Yeah, like, that's and, such an interesting tax. And then if the movie was about, like, so... The way the first movie ends with Chris Pine, he leaves her, right? And the same exact thing happens in this movie, which doesn't make any sense. He pulls her into an alley. Like, in the first movie, he's going to sacrifice himself, and he makes the choice to leave. And then in this movie, basically the same thing happens. He pulls her into an alley. No, no, I want to be more specific about this moment, because it's so crazy. So, because of, you know, they do some, uh, they go on an explanation trip, and they they get their explanation, and it's like, the stone. in order to stop the stone from destroying a civilization, you either have to destroy the stone, which we can't, because it's in Donald Trump's body now, or every single person who's ever received a wish from it must renounce their wish. So she's like, I'll go first, I will give up my boyfriend, and so she goes to a bank and then just leaves him at the bank. <laughs> yeah, but that's, is that how is that how the stone works? Is you just leave uh, your boyfriend at a bank? Yeah, but she like, he has to talk her into it. Wouldn't it have been like way more powerful if like she's losing her powers? Let's say you even want to keep doing that, and like he doesn't want to go. He loves being Ooh. alive in nineteen eighty. Oh yeah, yeah. And she has to look him in the eyes and say no. I have to renounce your wish. And he's like begging to stay, right? Like that would be a reverse of what happens in the first movie and what you're supposed to do in a sequel rather than doing the exact same fucking thing you did in the first one. Um, Well, if it's a Star Wars sequel, then that is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, well, because like poetry, it rhymes. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, I agree. I totally agree. I think I think you're exactly right. That's the that is a if we were writing this movie, I think we have a movie that we love in this stone. I think the fact that he uh, becomes the stone is actually super fucking interesting. And we just need what this and also the concept of a monkey's paw, if done in this way, instead of it being like a douchebag monkey's paw, if it put you in conundrums, that was the whole if this was a conundrum stone. It would be a fucking interesting movie because her choice about whether to keep her boyfriend if it murdered a random stranger is such an interesting conundrum. And then and then you could have a really interesting conundrum with her friend who wished to be hot if she had some consequence be or like if her if her conundrum made sense, too, because with her, she's like, well, I am evil now, but I've always wanted to walk in heels like her problem doesn't make sense. The other way, it's like the thing right. that she got is that she can walk in heels. And she's like, you know what? I I have been told, I've, show, I've been shown incontrovertible proof that if I keep the ability to walk in heels, the earth dies and I am choosing to walk in heels. Like that doesn't make, that's not a conundrum either. It's too easy to be like, I should not let the world die. So you gave her too much, hers is too big of a tax. And then the main bad guy, his tax, so he becomes the stone. And so the stone has to enact a uh, revenge. And for him, it's a nosebleed. 
And that's it. He gets all bloodshot the eyes. His, his eyes get bloodshot. He gets he gets a little bit of brain bleed, but it's also he can give a now he when he grants a wish by touching him and wishing for something, he gets the tax. Instead of the stone just enacting revenge, it goes to him. Right. He makes and, up what the tax is. He mm-hmm. ma- he decides, and then also he gets that power. So he can just grant a wish that takes away his brain bleeding. So he really did beat the system. He a hundred percent beat the system if he just stopped trying to kill every single person all of the time. Yeah, and I that's mean- it's so crazy. It's so almost interesting. Yeah, and there's the things like th- there's just so much like wild, like I said, gonzo shit that could have been pulled off. It's just a few more passes, and then there's just stuff like the everything in the White House uh, in the Oval Office scene when he goes to seize the president, and then he turns around, and this top secret, super powerful satellite machine uh, is just sitting. <laughs> On a blueprint on an in- easel in the president's office. Look, Reagan did not. He, he did not. He was not a detailed man. You had to bring in a picture on an easel as well. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Just like five minutes ago, he was literally like, "I need to touch everyone," and he goes to the uh, the president's house, uh, the president's house, the president's White House. House. Yeah, really, that's what it is. Sure. He turns around and is like, "What's that?" Uh, and they're like, "Oh, it's this thing that touches everyone." Uh, it's a touching machine, which is my nightmare. Yeah, proudly displayed just in the White House. This is where we keep top secret stuff. Um, it's so crazy. Okay, okay, it's so crazy. So that's basically it. So he uses the satellite that can touch everybody, and then right when he's he's like, "Oh, I'm enjoying this. I rule every soul and every centimeter of everybody on Earth, and it's all chaos and nukes are going off and everything's bad." And then it stops. Yeah, I literally do not understand what happened because this is a, this movie is an hour too long, and yet the finale is like, and it's over. Yeah, yeah. He's in a satellite. I, he's getting covered in satellite juice, and he's like, "Oh, I did like my son though," and then it's over. And I and I thought either he had to die, or literally every person in the world had to renounce their wish, and they didn't know they wouldn't know how to do that. It's not clear. You the 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 guy who murdered the chef that I wish you died, and then she died. Is he going to take her dead body and leave it at the bank? How do we all give back our wishes? It's The, it makes- the well, climax I- of this movie with uh, Wonder Woman having used the lasso on Pedro and yeah. then she's like like sitting in the corner. The um, like I under uh, I'm able to use my mind to figure out what is meant to be happening. However, in what I'm given on the screen, I literally could not figure it out i had to just decide oh this is what they're doing because that's the only thing that would make sense but i it it, man i i would it's almost worth watching just for this this climactic scene because it's so insane there's literally pedro is literally like floating in the air above this like blue like wispy tech thing and Mm. i don't even know what that is it's like a star wars prop it's satellite goo well it's satellite goo huh (laughs) yeah it's it's a column of satellite goo I mean, what's so interesting about it is because especially the first Wonder Woman got knocked so hard because of the ending, right? And because it turned into like this big CGI battle. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I do like that they tried something different. Like, I like that it just ends essentially with a conversation. Uh, but the, the thing is, there's just so many gaps in logic and consistency. Yeah. So, like, yeah. my two favorite things, uh, kind of before we wrap up, I do want to talk about the ending. Uh, one, uh, this had to be a purposeful thing, right? That 
when Wonder Woman and the Cheetah are fighting in this armor they've set up that really doesn't do anything, it's just there to look cool on a poster, uh, they spend a lot of the fight scissoring. Uh, mm, right. That would be a real conscious decision, right? Mm. Uh, and then the second thing, which I yeah. think they should have, they should have had Diana and Cheetah be in a relationship in this movie. But I, the, could, that, the first date was clearly a date, totally, right? Totally, yeah. And uh, then why would they just change it to being like, and now they're both straight and they don't actually care about it? Yeah. Uh, so like that was really annoying. But my favorite thing about the ending is Pedro Pascal renounces his wish. Uh, gives up everything, goes back to normal, and then the helicopter pilot who was under his control still gives him a ride back <laughs> to the sea. That's so true. The helicopter pilot who's no longer under his control is like, okay, yeah, you just brainwashed me, but I'm heading that way anyway. Oh my god, dude. This movie <laughs> is Swiss cheese, dude. It's Swiss cheese. Um, uh, one more yeah. other thing that drove me crazy uh, for a movie that was apparently finished in 2019, why mm-hmm. is there so much music from other movies in this? Like, there's not a lot of 80s needle, like, needle drops, which I kind of liked. I do wish there was more 80s stuff in general in this movie. Oh, but, uh, oh really? Well, this just it doesn't really feel besides the clothing and the opening scene. Okay, I get, yeah, I guess it's not that it's not eighties enough. I get the problem for me. Like my number one thing that that hurt me, the most painful part of this movie, was that they had decided that it's a joke to just show something from the eighties and go, eh? yeah. Right. And so there's like a whole scene of him trying on clothes where it's like fanny pack, <laughs> and it's like, oh, this this is uh these are parachute pants. <laughs> Uh, rollerblades they just that over and over we're in a mall I bet there's jazzercise right there people jazzercise everywhere the whole of the 80s everyone is I bet someone's breakdancing in front of the White House people are just always breakdancing it's the 80s breakdancing it's I thought the the 80s thing fucking killed me I was so frustrated because the 80s were an interesting time and there's like but if it felt like someone made a movie where they're like okay so this is a there's a period piece about the 80s but the only thing we're allowed to know about the 80s is this pamphlet right that, <laughs> it felt like they were just like from like oh breakdancing parachute pants ronald reagan nukes and that's all they got and so there's no richness of the 80s there's no lived feeling of the 80s it's just these are these jokes of the well, 80s later I mean, on so they're like Slug. The most 80s stuff in this movie is like, is like Patty Jenkins. Like, you know, my favorite thing about 80s movies were offensive Middle Eastern archetypes. And I yeah. really love that part in Big when that lady had sex with a 12 year old. Uh, <laughs> so if we can walk in. Yeah, I, you mentioned ahead of time the sealing his body and then having sex with him in that body. Um, and I will say, although that is bad, the fact that they murdered his soul is like the bigger issue. And I, I think that eclipses. Like, well, what they don't. Do well, he gets, he does get back. It's like I mean, they borrowed him, right? Like, yeah, but they he like shows up again in the end, which is super she gave him back. They murdered his soul, and then was like, "All right, fine, you can have it back." And then they resurrect his soul. Like the the thing that they do with him is so dark that yeah, like yeah, they did do. They also put his body in danger. You know, that's bad because they it was somebody else's body. But they she wasn't planning to give it back. She just took it, and it was like fine with taking it. Like she body snatched somebody. That's so dark. For a I, hero my, to do unthinkingly, and I just the fact that she even says the next day she has a great date with him, and then she's she's like, oh, you know what? I should investigate why a rock brought you back from the dead. Like it never occurs to her yeah. that this is weird or bad. 
I yeah, mean, and it still even comes up a little bit. Too. Like it, it. At one point, I kind of thought the movie was trying to make me forget about that completely because it's just Chris Pine, right? Like you're just seeing Chris Pine. Right. Uh, but then every time it would come back, I would be like, I thought you were trying to make me forget <laughs> about that dumb thing. But this is the last thing I'll say about this movie because that that is like the most interesting aspect to me, and I'm, I have a theory now about why. So at the very end of the movie, the very very end of the movie, Wonder Woman, it's like Christmas and. She's like alone, but she's happy. And it just feels weird because Wonder Woman no longer has any supporting cast because they're all, they all either turned into bad guys and have been dealt with or they're Chris Pine and they're gone. So we have no yeah. like hooks. And by dealt with, you mean her, her girlfriend slash platonic friend, uh, Kristen Wiig, is she turns into a cat and then is electrocuted to death. Right, well, right. She's alive at the end. Uh, That's true. She, she is still alive. But, but, but obviously, she, she it's not, the movie's be. not going to end with the two of them having anything to say to each other. So I think what happened was maybe they got to that point in the first draft and they're like, Oh my God, wonder woman started with no one and still has no one. And we just have her like happy about it. And then they were like, what if instead of just bringing Chris Pine back normal style, it's actually a weird ghost, like freaky Friday thing. So she can see like the ghost of Chris Pine in this guy. I legitimately think it was backwards written from there because there Mm. is no other reason for Chris Pine to be bought, brought back from the dead yeah. in yeah. someone else's body. There's literally no reason. Right. You could just walk in and you're like, well, it was a magic rock. Yeah. There's no, re- I mean, it, you also need that. You did the jokes of him trying on parachute pants. All right, Anthony, final thoughts. So my, my final thought on this movie is after seeing it, I understand uh, how Gal Gadot thought that imagine video was going to go over better than it did. <laughs> like this movie and that video to me are so tied in with that i didn't see this video so catch me up oh the imagine video from right at the beginning of lockdown when it was gal gadot and a bunch of other celebrities in their mansions each singing a line from john lennon's imagine Uh, you didn't see this no i didn't this doesn't sound like something i would click on no it was uh it's one (laughs) of the pretty big yeah it was one of the most tone deaf things because like i said it was just super rich celebrities in mansions you know, basically telling people like, hey, we're all in this together. And it's like, no, you're right. in mansions. I um, remember that vague feeling, but yeah. And that to me is the same politics and feeling I got from this movie. It's that same tone deaf, just like not aware of what you're really saying or how this is going to read. But they do it anyway with a lot of sincerity Here's my final thought on this, which is that um, I did not like it, uh, but I have enjoyed talking to you about it so much more than anything in previous comic book movie history. This is the craziness of this. You've convinced me that I kind of enjoy this movie and I want people to see it now because I just want to talk about because I fucking love the monkey's paw and I want to talk about all the opportunities of the monkey's paw and the way that could have gone. So I like that part of it. So I I guess I did not enjoy it, but you've convinced me that I liked it, which is weird. (laughs) I um, feel like I failed at whatever I set out to do. I know, <laughs> I know. And now, uh, briefly, before we go, we have a, our, our final segment is a short segment. It's The Argument. So um, normally, uh, we will have these submitted by Meat Buddies, but I wanted one that was thematic, or, or other listeners, if you have ideas and we run out of Meat Buddy right. ones, Meat Buddies get preference. Real fast, um, before we get to that, Hunter, can I get that like deep voice going, The Argument? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, here we go. Here we go. The argument. 
Yes. Yeah, I That's love so it. good. Good call. All right. So the argument is, uh, uh, or we got a, 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 an, a thing that we could disagree about, even though we all have perfect opinions, you could still end up on different sides. And we have just, dis- we have, we've, I've mentioned what the argument is going to be, but we have not discussed our actual feelings about this or how we're going to answer. So, um, first I'm going to have you just give me a yes or no answer without any explanation. And then we'll go into why. So here is the question for today's argument. Anthony set this up beautifully in the first segment, but the the question is stated shortly thusly. The current state of movies and TV with the stre- with streaming being what it is, are we better off than we were 10 years ago? Yes or no, Anthony? Uh I was going I'm going to say yes with a huge caveat. Yes, Hunter. Uh I I'm going to say yes and no at the same time. I don't think that's how the segment works. I'm I'm that going works. to say no, no, and I with very few caveats. I think this is the worst things have ever been. Um, Anthony, so that's that's our positions. Anthony, start off with convincing me yes, but the caveat. So you were telling me the story, you and your brother talking about what the, how the world's going to be so wonderful, and it clearly did not become that version. Yes, and I think that you know, like there is like con- you know, choiceful consumers. The fact that like young voices are getting chances uh to like you know maybe not the people i would like to see getting chances but like uh that there is more money making unique stuff um like every year on all is that true that there's like is it is it more money is it less money or the same amount of money but spread around more well i mean what is is actually happening with content investment is it really up yeah i mean i was certainly just by factor of like netflix and amazon and hulu and all these people entering all these right. you know, new venues entering and just dumping money especially like netflix you know or, or like uh, the billions of dollars they invest every year in content that isn't very good for the most part i think but uh some of it is delightful and especially uh something that i was sort of thinking about when i was trying to come up with pros and cons of this is even though this isn't as good as it is, the fact that especially like foreign shows that used to just literally be impossible to Ooh, see yeah. on TV, no, uh, because streaming allows a lot of that to come over. Um, and I definitely think for people who like fringe stuff, uh, or not even like fringe, but like people who are really into specific anime or really into like stuff like Terrace House, maybe. Like, <laughs> like you like Terrace House? Oh yeah, Terrace House is uh, adorable and hilarious to me. Yeah, I love well, it. Like the Great British Bake Off and like kind of the positive right. influence that has had on, I think, American television. Even like that stuff wouldn't have um, nearly the impact or the waves that it would otherwise. So I think stuff like that is really good. I think the the biggest problems with it, sort of the caveats, are kind of the things I said about the sort of the crowded market really spreading stuff around. And I think sort of one of my biggest fears um, from like five, even five, ten years ago, I was sort of thinking about this when Netflix was going up. I was an, an article I read, I think like the New Yorker or something years ago about like the way Netflix is defining the canon. And because a lot of the great classics are not available to stream anywhere because the right holders uh, you know, like are holding on to them or want more money than Netflix is willing to pay. You're, right. you're losing a lot of classics from the conversation where it used to be people would go to video stores and could always get what they wanted. Now it is like you can see more than you've ever been able to see, but it's the stuff that mostly Netflix is making or paying for or Amazon or whatever, you know? And so you, 
it's it changes the cultural conversation that way. I, I definitely think like we sort of were talking about this last week, uh, or well, off the air about the way that like the difference between sort of binge television or week to week stuff, and the way that I think that like binge was very exciting for a while, but what it's done is it's made shows like come really come and go really fast. Yeah. I feel like very few shows have like a lasting I on culture. Hate, I hate the binge. I've decided. I've thought more the more I've thought about it, the more I hate the binge drop of television shows. Like, around on that. Remember when Tiger King came out and for three days it was all anybody wanted to talk about. And then on day four, it was so lame and annoying if somebody brought up Tiger King. That's what happened to the show. That's what happens at every show. Like I I want to watch this chess show that people like, and it's over. I missed it. It's too late. There's like six new things now I got to watch before I can get to the chess show. Because and I, so I'm always not caught up. Whereas like when Game of Thrones was airing its final season, or um, or the um, basically anything on HBO. When HBO things come out, it's a conversation each week that lasts for a while, and I have yeah. time to catch up and be part of that conversation. Yeah, and I mean, that's so much more fun. Look at like the Mandalorian, which I think is not that great of a show, but I think that like if that was all at once, people would be really into it for a few days and not talk about it. But because it's been week to week, I feel like that show has had such legs. Uh, yeah. of the cultural <laughs> Disney surely thinks that it has with their announcing <laughs> of and follow up shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like that is the type of stuff that is like. I think is interesting and I'm glad we're, we're getting it. And I do want, like I thought Watchmen was a really good example of a show that really benefited from being week to week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, I, so I'm going to give you, since Hunter, you, you went cowardly and went in the middle. I'm not Anthony, cowardly. I, I went different. Okay. I would say he was the most bold of all of us. No, something simple. No, uh, do, doing the playing the game is the brave thing. Um, not not participating. But right. well, I, I mean, you're you're the one cutting me out. I'm 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 here ready to to. No, participate. no, I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna have you come in and explain why you chose not to participate. But because totally. Anthony went one side, I'm gonna go the other Except side. And that I am you. participating. I mean, I, I completely yeah. am. Okay. Anyways, right. God will judge. So totally the um, totally here. so I, I mentioned all, I I hate the the binge thing. I do think it's interesting your point that there's way that there's more content available. Although I do feel like there's more than I need by a factor of a thousand. And so if there was fewer shows, I would probably be mostly okay with it. I, I mean, I there's a lot of there's a lot of things like nuance to that. And if if it is being spread out to more creators, if more voices are getting heard, that is very good. But if those voices are all getting buried, I'm not convinced that it is, but mostly just the experience of trying to find and watch things now is so abysmal. And it's as bad as I like, I, as much as cable is the worst thing and cable companies are all monsters. It does feel like I, when I talk to people now, I've, I feel like in the last week, not even mentioning that I'm doing, I was prepping for this episode Seven different people I've talked to have just casually mentioned how frustrated they are with streaming stuff. There's too many things. They're all so fucking expensive. You mentioned this in the first segment, Anthony, but like it's way more than cable TV to get way fewer channels now to have these different things. It's hard to know what is like there's this thing where they'll just not be on Roku for a while. So it's like here's a new TV channel that doesn't work on your TV, which was not a problem with cable. And also, uh, just the way they're breaking up all of their different pieces of content. You guys don't care about sports, but like sports are a nightmare right now. So mm-hmm. 
NBC owns the rights to the Premier League, and they can either put it on their TV channel, NBC, or their TV channel, NBC Sports. NBC Sports works on some devices, but not other devices. But then one match a month, they hold only for Peacock Premium subscribers. But they sold at the beginning of the year if you that you could watch all of the games this season on Peacock Premium. What they did not say was not live. Um only one a month for per team is live. The rest you can just watch on replay if you want, which is not a thing Jesus. people are super excited about. But they just like lied about that. And so now instead of be and it used to be online, you could just buy the NBC Sports Premier League and watch all of the games. But now you can't. They took it away so you can actually watch fewer games. But then if your team plays in another tournament, that might like the Champions League, that's only on CBS All Access or Paramount Plus or whatever it's going to be. Uh, so you, you're, you're now at six different streaming services to watch one team play games if you watch basketball or baseball or, or american soccer they're blacked out if the team either plays in you one of the two teams is playing lives near you or if it's sunday like they just block out all games from streaming on sundays because some of the tv channel the the fracturing of the way those contracts have gone for streaming is so frustrating and so bad uh, and other times you could go watch them in bars or whatever who can afford all they have these all these things but you can't uh right now so it's just more expensive than cable and much less access to a lot of things that i would like to see and i it, and it's not stopping like discovery plus just launched today uh which doesn't care a lot of people don't care about it but they're doing spin-offs of three different things that i like and so i feel like i'm going to be obliged uh to subscribe to discovery plus at some point but and like I, I we already mentioned i don't understand what hbo max is exactly what it's at&t streaming service you also get hbo with it i guess i don't know it's but also there was just hbo and I'm just it's I'm so frustrated all of the time and if that is what it costs to have there be more content that I'm going to not be caught up on not worth it for me. Okay. Hunter, you're so, yes and no. So tell me yes. tell me how you came uh to die a thousand deaths in this cowardly yes. way. So uh so this is well, there's nothing cowardly about this. This is uh being an adult and having uh, yeah, a complex great. take. Um so yes, we are better off because uh the the general state of, I would say, blockbuster, capital H, Hollywood uh, filmmaking for even 10 years back uh, was just trending towards kind of a stagnant repetition of just kind of very safe, uh, m- kind of mediocre movies. And that continues today, largely. Yeah. There are exceptions. We've talked about them already, even in this um episode i think we actually kind of touched on every single exception in the warner brothers uh, discussion (laughs) earlier um so what i like is that in a lot of ways the streaming culture has kind of reset our values towards smaller uh productions that have better scripts better characters uh more interesting uh themes stuff made uh explicitly uh for adults and not even just i don't even want to make it like an adult kid thing it's it's just uh, across the board you're getting um i i just think types of of entertainment that you would not have gotten any other way because hollywood has been so set on big and lots of lights and crazy stuff happening uh and cg monsters and and just all that stuff had gotten so stagnant uh that streaming was like kind of the perfect thing to shake that up and and find uh, and and just start making stuff uh, for other people. So uh, that that I like. Um, 
the no aspect of that is that we have now ceded the theater space almost almost solely to that type of stuff with the very few exceptions maybe we should not have done that the only saving grace i feel like i see of that is uh your kind of mid-tier a24 annapurna um Bleecker Street, Blumhouse, uh, those the IFC, um, those types of uh, production companies that are that are smaller, right? But they make uh, they make good stuff for the for uh, the theater. Uh, but also, uh, just to kind of piggyback off of what Alex said, is the act of of having uh, streaming subscriptions is kind of like I, I don't know. I would characterize it like a libertarian nightmare. Like it's like <laughs> you have all the all the choice uh but but it's almost like you need to have a job where what you do is kind of min max your dollar spent <laughs> for streaming participation yeah. which is kind of insane i believe there's an app that makes it uh easier that i was going to look up and i did i did not find it uh earlier today but i think there is some sort of uh subscription app that can make it a breeze but even then even with an app you need to take extra brain time out of your day to make sure that you are not giving a corporation money for no reason to use something that you're not using at all which that's just a stupid model you also have like you know like i'm not a huge fan of like the apple tv's interface but like the way the apple tv works of like it all the streaming services that, that are available on the apple device uh, they all kind of go into one giant list, and you can kind of search all of your stuff at once. Isn't and it automatically takes you to the? Is different it, apps. Don't some apps not participate though in the universal search? Um, I think I mean I don't actually have an Apple TV. Yeah, I, either, but I remember reading that some th- I can't. Re- so one of the big players was like, "No, you have to use our interface because that's our yeah, money I mean, maker." I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But I oh, oh one one UI thing. Uh, I would say almost every single streaming service has awful user interface. Netflix at the tippity top. I do not want these shows to yell at me while I'm looking yeah. through them. Oh my god! Every one of these, they, the auto playing things of shows I don't, I've, I've just indicated I'm not watching. Um, like finding a show that I was watching is harder than it should be. Finding a, and yet, the, and also the things that should be interesting to Netflix, which is like, hey, a show you liked has new episodes. I don't find that out most of the time. I right. like, I don't. There's so many people at these companies that are that know how to design things. Why is it so bad? They're all so bad. Yeah, I, I I do think that this conversation has something because uh, as we've had sort of time to think about it over the past few days, I have sort of formulating my thoughts and I don't think Alex, you're going to get too much of this, but like Hunter, have you sort of like really kind of come to peace with like the streaming gaming future that it seems like we're barreling towards uh, like, uh, I, I, yeah. like Stadia? I've heard of Stadia. Well, I mean, Amazon is launching a streaming service right. this year. Xbox has their streaming service. Sony has had one for years, but they're going to catch up. But it does feel that, like, it's. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but I do think within the next, like, five, ten years, we will be having this, maybe not us exactly, but this same as that conversation will be going with uh, video games. I mean, I think you could have the same as that conversation with music. I think that music has had, you know, a, this great boon in terms of like there are more places 
to get unique young voices out there between Bandcamp, SoundCloud, the major mm. people. Um, but at the same time, you also have a few big players not really paying Otis a lot of good money for this stuff. Uh, and just by act of like being so popular can kind of strong um younger Otis, which I think is really fucked up and upsetting. But it is the type of thing that was like, I, I think that if you have this same conversation about music, it's it's interesting because we are absolutely better off, especially for younger people. If you do not remember 98, 99, buying CDs for like $35 that had right. 10 songs on them. Uh, and, right. and what it really had was one song you like and nine songs they threw on there so they could charge you $30 for it. Yeah, and it's just like the way that the the industry had to basically completely collapse in order to be rebuilt, and then we kind of end up where we are now. I do think that in t- five, ten years, the movie streaming landscape will look very different. I am curious how many, because I, I think that you know Disney's already talking about it in terms of like, why is Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN... Yeah. Uh, Three different services. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Disney's going to make those one service in the next few years, right? Because um, what I really want is when I'm looking at Star Wars to also have live sports to contend with on the app. Because I'm sure Disney's UI will really well handle those different aspects of those different those services. Hey, you know what? Honestly, though, if we're 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 talking about comparing poo poo to poo poo, I I'll take the Disney Plus one. Thank you, actually, sure. over, yeah. over a lot of the others. That's fair. I I the, I'm glad you brought up mu- music, Anthony, because I. I it's not just movies and, and it's not just the stream services and music that you also have to pay a monthly fee for as frustrating as it, as it was to go buy three hour CDs. If you bought a CD, you owned that CD and now you just bought, you're renting the music. And if any month you don't pay for music, you have no music at all. And that's weird. And it, I, one thing that is just a, a frustration for me of modern life is that every single company that no matter what they do would like you to pay them repeatedly instead of once that all like all of capitalism realized five years ago they're like you know it's way better than selling you something making you pay us every month for the same thing yeah and you you don't be you at the last five ten years as everyone has gone from being a goods business to being a service business yes yeah yeah. It's, it's not just that i have to pay for streaming services and i have to pay for music it's that if i want socks it's a it's a subscription service if i would like to i would like to buy uh, a a new face wash well here's our monthly subscription face wash service where we send it to you whether or not you need it and it, it's so infuriating i'm just i'm i i feel like credit cards should have should should get together and be like we're not going to let you charge people monthly. You get to buy a thing. You have each time you want to buy it, you have to click it from now on. And then we all, which has some downsides for sure. But I would be interested in seeing again. It's not none of this is consumer focused. All of this is just how it helped Disney, and no one gives a shit about whether we You're like right, it or not. Alex. Though there's one industry that is looking out for the consumer. <laughs> oh, I mean, I know it. Company, uh, they are no, definitely. No the heroes no kidding um they will save us yeah. all right so uh anthony says yes i said no uh hunter took the gutless approach of not answering um i, I did we, a, i had a great answer you, get, you know what rewind and go back to my what answer you'll, what you'll and, find is that the game is not about are there two sides it's which one persuades you and you chose uh to not be persuaded um but i, 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 I chose to persuade you to something deeper than a yes or no 
not the, the literally the only thing the game has going for it is yes or no. So at home, please tell us how you feel. Were you persuaded? Are you a coward? Are you um, a fence sitter? I will uh, go or, ahead and let you know right now. I will probably never play this game the way you intend. Like <laughs> we may have just found an issue with the design of the game because interesting, interesting. I will probably never, ever not want to think about both sides of a thing. Yeah. You, the game allows that, but first you have to say an answer. But anyway, we'll look at that in the future episodes. We'll see how you continue that's, to not participate. That's why we play test these things. You know, we gotta find. <laughs> yeah. We gotta find. We found a major bug right away. This is a this is a cyberpunk twenty seventy seven situation right here, y'all. People at home can decide. Uh, are you persuaded? How do you feel about this? Was there something that we left out of this argument? And should Hunter? try before he gives up on a game it's up to you guys let us know on facebook and twitter and by email podcast at readersweep.com and if you have future arguments that you would like us to have small or large um preference goes to our meat buddies we already got a couple good ones for meat buddies we're gonna do in the next few weeks so if you're a meat buddy go to uh, go to the patreon or email me if you're not on the, if you're on the other systems let me know what you are you'd like to hear us argue about and we'll pull them and put them in the show and if you're at home have an argument that you want but you're not a meat buddy yet you can just send it along and then we will consider it but we would like you to be paying us monthly for this product. <laughs> so please become subscribe. A, a subscriber. Uh, man, I did not realize how awful that sounded until it came out. Oh I am so sorry. Please do not. You should. I mean, I've been very clear. You shouldn't subscribe. I think that's true. We really appreciate it, but you should not. So anyway, patreon.com uh, slash meat buddies or metreon.com to make me a hypocrite. All right, that is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening to the debut of season four. Tell us what you thought. I really need to hear a lot of feedback on this so we can keep guiding this ship. Podcast at redistrip.com is the best way. Email me, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and we will be posting upcoming topics and discussions on those platforms. I don't have an answer for what's coming up next week. Partly is because we're going to keep discussing these till later in the process so that we can have more newsy news. Um, but we would love to hear your thoughts and suggestions um, about news items as well as homework to do. So please get in touch with us, especially we thank you to the Meat Buddies for keeping us limping down the tracks, which we don't deserve and you shouldn't be a part of. And thanks for experimenting on season four with us. Thanks for playtesting this game, Anthony and Hunter. This is a lot of fun. It's been great hey, talking hey. to you. You're, you're welcome uh, for the variety that I added to the experience. I, uh, I, I, I think history will judge you. Um, we will be back next week with more of season four. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.